I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. I've got a packed podcast for you today. It's going to include our feature with Kevin Keller, one of the premier ambient chamber music artists, who talks about his record, The Front Porch of Heaven. It was inspired by his suspended life during heart surgery. Then we remember one of Keller's inspirations, cellist David Darling. He left the planet early this year. Finally, we celebrate the sixth icon of Echoes, Vangelis. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about a meditative album from the Spotted Peccary label that's not your usual New Age sweetness. The Bodhi Mantra by Howard Givens and Craig Padilla. It's a deep, ambient work that explores the journey to the inner soul. Bodhi is Sanskrit for enlightenment or awakening, which brings you to a state of nirvana. Howard Givens and Craig Padilla, two electronic music veterans, take you on this trip with hypnotic textures drawn from their synthesizers. You can reach Nirvana by getting The Bodhi Mantra by Howard Givens and Craig Badia, available from Amazon, iTunes, Bandcamp, and other retailers. And now, let's hear from someone who had a spiritual experience on the operating table, Kevin Keller. Kevin Keller is one of the premier ambient chamber music composers in the world, although you might not have known that if you'd only heard his 2019 album, Ice Worlds. That was purely retro electronic music. But on his new recording, he goes back to his ambient chamber music sound. It's called The Front Porch of Heaven, and that title tells you a lot about its inspiration. Have you ever wondered where you'd go when your heart is medically stopped? Most of us haven't been there, but Kevin Keller has. It happened just shortly after he was on the show in 2019, and his album Ice World was made a CD of the month. Right, it was funny timing because we did our interview for Ice Worlds, I think, in March, and then the next month was when the surgery took place. So little did we know <laughs> that that was uh, just around the corner because I didn't know uh, at that point. The operation was open heart surgery and for the procedure, they had to stop Keller's heart from beating. When they told me I was gonna have open heart surgery, the thing that really struck me, I mean, obviously besides just the shock of hearing that, the thing that struck me most about the upcoming surgery was the fact that they were gonna be shutting me down, basically turning my heart off for about an hour and I had this idea like okay so I'm gonna be lying on a table without a heartbeat my blood's being pumped out of my body into a machine I guess I asked myself the question where does one go where do you go when that happens do you go somewhere are you aware that your heart is not beating do you know somehow somewhere in your consciousness so this album grew out of that question of like where do you go when you're on the edge of death
course, Kevin Keller doesn't remember anything after they put him under. The next memory I have is waking up 14 hours later in the ICU. So to me, it's a 14-hour blank space in my life that I decided to fill with, you know, 48 minutes of music, I guess. But he did have a vision of what he hoped his time in suspension would be through the two weeks prior to surgery. But, you know, in those two weeks, I thought, well, what if this is the last two weeks of my existence here on this planet? What do I want to carry with me to the next place, wherever that is? So that's where these memories kind of came in and became the basis for the music so that once I was home recovering from the surgery, then the music became sort of the way that I recovered, I guess, from the experience. I guess I took it as a fairly positive thing. I looked at it as where I wanted to go during the surgery was to a safe place where I could maybe look back on the most important moments of my life and reflect on them. So each piece of music on the record, besides the opening, which is kind of you know the introductory piece beacon, each successive piece after that is basically just me recounting in music the memory of something that I hold very dear to myself, a memory from you know, some experience that I had in my life. So it's, it's almost like a musical journal, really. So it's much more personal from my standpoint as the composer. It's more personal than probably anything I've done before. Perhaps subliminally, Kevin Keller's experience may have been influenced by the music playing in the operating room as he was being prepped and going under. They let me listen to music of my own choice while I was in, in surgery, so I brought my iPod with me and had like a couple Robert Rich albums to listen to. The album that I was listening to is his album called Nest, which he did a few years ago, and that album has always struck me as being very emotional and very much, to me, about mortality. And it's funny, I told Robert that and he laughed because he's like, well, that's not at all <laughs> what this music is about. Uh, but if that's what you get from it, you know, that's fine. Um, that music of his is very relaxing in a non-repetitive way. Kevin Keller's music is, however, quite a bit different than Robert Rich's. Rich is a textural composer of trance rhythm, cyclical motifs, and free-floating melodies. Keller, on the other hand, is a composer who bathes in melodic development and musical drama. But the melodies on the front porch of heaven are simple motifs. I think the reason for that simplicity is that I was trying to express sort of the innocence of childhood, I think, a lot of times. For example, yeah, like the opening melody on Beacon, for example, the opening two notes, are those are like the notes that they teach to kids when they're in the first grade. It's like the very first notes that you learn to sing. It's a very natural interval that we, that we sing. You know, when people 
you know, when a mom will call her children home, you know, or whatever, right? You hear Kevin, right? It's those two notes. And so I based that melody on just those two pitches. And that approach, I think, followed through and carried through for, for much of the album that followed. his surgical experience, Kevin Kelly isn't saying that he came close to death. Obviously, I didn't have, you know, what people call a near-death experience. It wasn't like I was pronounced dead and was seeing a, a light in a stairway or anything like that. But he does have a song called Into the Light. I do. And Into the Light, again, it's based on a something that happened to me. It was not even really something that happened. It was just an experience that I had. I was on a meditation retreat many years ago, and I was on a silent retreat for a weekend by myself. And there was just a morning that I was out walking in the woods, and the sun was coming up and um, was kind of streaming down through the trees. And it was just this amazing moment of connectedness that I felt and gratitude for that moment. So that's the starting off point for the music. But then I guess I took some artistic license and thought, well, what if I did have a near-death experience? What would that have been like for me if I had seen a light and had traveled through some tunnels? So there is definitely a little bit of projection or conjecture, I guess, uh, that's built into that music as well, just to kind of fit the overall arc of the story of the music that the music is telling. The title of the album is perfect for Kevin Keller's music and the concept, The Front Porch of Heaven. So the title of the album is inspired by a dance piece by Ulysses Dove. He's a choreographer. He's now deceased. And he created this beautiful piece of contemporary dance in the early 90s called Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven. And it's one of my favorite dance pieces. And it's really a classic work. And I've always loved that title. And literally, for all the years that I've known of that piece of dance, I've always had the title Front Porch of Heaven in the back of my mind as something that I might be able to use at some point in the future. And so this album came along and it just seemed like this was the time to use that title. So yeah, it's inspired by that title, Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven. I really like the imagery that's conjured up by it, this idea of you know, going to the afterlife, but you're not going fully inside. You're just hanging out on the front porch for a while. And 
looking back at your life and then and then oh okay it's time to go back back to your life so you know we'll see heaven some other time <laughs> Kevin Keller, heaven isn't a religious concept. It's a metaphorical space. Obviously, using the word heaven in a title, I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to necessarily give this idea of it being a religious experience, but it was definitely a spiritual experience for me, that this whole experience of going through the surgery and, you know, having them turn my heart off and all of that, and just what I went through uh, mentally and emotionally to kind of get through that. I mean, it was definitely a spiritual experience, but yeah, my use of the word heaven is more of a, it's more of a general term, meaning whatever you think, you know, whatever you believe is the other side of our existence here. go to the other side, you might not find a better soundtrack than Kevin Keller's The Front Porch of Heaven. Pull up a rocking chair and contemplate the wonder. I will have a link for Kevin Keller's The Front Porch of Heaven in the posting for this podcast. And now we remember David Darling, a friend of Echoes and an amazing musician. David Darling was one of the premier new music cellists. He first came to renown performing with the Paul Winter Consort, including work on their classic Icarus album. He went on to a solo career that has included several recordings on the ECM label, playing both solo cello and in often edgy collaborations with musicians like guitarist Tagge Ripdahl and Ralph Towner. On a trio of albums that began with the CD Eight String Religion, Darlene articulated an ambient chamber music that has influenced many. Now, this amazing musician, who appeared on Echoes several times, has left the planet. David Darling died on January 8th at the age of 79. My understanding is he'd been suffering from illness for a long time. We dubbed David Darling the Lord of Largo and the Master of Melancholy. But he was more than that, especially if you'd ever been to one of his workshops where he would encourage attendees to set themselves free and improvise. Sadly, the last time I spoke with David was in 2009. He just released a beautiful album, Prayer for Compassion, which was a CD of the month that March. I want to go back to that feature because it says a lot not only about David Darling, the musician and composer, but Darling the man and what his beliefs were and his compassion for humanity. 
The lower half of David Darling's split-level home in Connecticut is dedicated to music, from his recording studio to a music room full of instruments. Uh, this is uh, the piano room, because when we record piano, we do it in this room. And all my electric cellos are here that I've got from Ed Steinberger, which I have the whole collection. He pulls out one of his eight-stringed cello. cellos, the instrument that formed the core of his 1993 album, Eight-String Religion. David launches into an improvised jam that could have gone on for the rest of the day, tapping into that stream of music that has infused albums like Cello, Darkwood, Eight-String Religion, and his latest, Prayer for Compassion. The eight-string cello isn't on it much, but the other electric cellos are, in a blissfully turned landscape of overdubbed string choirs and reverb-drenched melodies. Darling's longish gray hair and receding hairline gives him a medieval monk-like appearance, and with prayer for compassion, he's made a political album hidden in contemplative clothes. It is definitely a political and a social comment. For instance, Untold Stories is actually has this theme, Johnny Comes Marching Home, in it done as a dirge. People won't even hear it, but it's in there as a dirge because you know, soldiers coming home from war, we always give it the big marching band drums and are we glad they're coming home when the whole farce of war and all the killing that just took place and all the horror is nothing to celebrate. Almost every title on Prayer for Compassion has a political association. September Morn was begun on 9-11. Heaven on Earth references Darling's ecological concerns. And then there's War is Outdated. You know, War is Outdated, which is in a direct quote from what the Dalai Lama said. In a seminar we were at, someone asked him, what do you think about war? And in that funny high laugh, he said, oh, I think it's outdated. I gotta put that down because that's exactly right, it's outdated. Mm. 
Much of the sound design comes from David's producer, Mickey Houlihan. They've known each other since Houlihan worked on Paul Winter's Canyon album, and coincidentally, he spoke to me from his Colorado studio, where he was working with Paul Winter once again. He's produced all three of David Darling's cello choir CDs, and it's Houlihan's environmental recordings that underpin many of the cellist's compositions. David and I have spent a lot of time, you know, in the Grand Canyon or on the oceans or uh, places that... That, you know, you're at once dwarfed by the immensity of the universe, you know, and, and more locally, the planet. And at the same time, you're, you're part of something much bigger than yourself. And that's what, what I strive for with those environmental sounds. Now, he's nuts in terms of recording. He'd take $1,000 microphones and go up into the mountains of the Rockies and record between 2 and 3 in the morning when there's no planes going over it. And he would record a stream then I would hear, listen to the stream in, in, in the watercourse way. And we thought maybe the mind would, would follow the flow of water because we were so crazy about the path of least resistance that comes out of the Tao and that water doesn't fight something, it goes around it. David Darling and Mickey Houlihan work for years on these CDs, with Darling pouring out improvisations just like he was doing for me in his studio. And I think David's magic really is his ability to, in a way, look at the abyss, you know, look at things that might be falling apart, either personally or globally, and while holding that field play music, you know, I think it's an incredible gift, you know, that, that he brings, that he is, that he shares. Despite some of the heavy themes of the album and David Darling's Largo approach to playing and arranging his cello choirs, there is a lightness and quiet joy to prayer for compassion on songs like Stones Start Spinning. At the same time that we are talking about these heavy things, you have things like Stones Start Spinning is just think one of the most amazing pieces for cellos that I've ever heard. But I'm beginning to realize that, you know, stones have been around forever and they've witnessed the world we live in. But this time the stones are coming alive because someone's paying attention to this, the beauty of life. And they just can't, they want to get up and dance because of that, of that groove that's in that piece. It's a wonderful light groove and celebrates life. Darling recorded his first solo album, Journal October, in 1979. Four decades later, his music continued to grow deeper and reveal more shadings. His last recording was Homage to Kindness, released in 2019. Now, David Darling is playing the universe with his cello bow. He left us on January 8th at 79, survived by two daughters, Jessica and Bonnie, and their family. He leaves 19 albums and many collaborations behind.
We are so saddened here by the loss of David, darling. I've got a more extended tribute to him on our website at echoes.org. Finally today, we get to the sixth icon of Echoes, Vangelis. the 1970s and early 80s, Vangelis was synonymous with orchestral electronic music the way another Greek, Yanni, is synonymous with the New Age. Whether it's his film soundtracks or Chariots of Fire and Blade Runner or his epic albums like Albedo 0.39 and Heaven and Hell, the sound of Vangelis has shaped much of Echoes. There was a time when Vangelis wouldn't give out his age or birthday, but now we know he was born on March 29, 1943. Vangelis rarely gives interviews, but I got to speak with him twice. Once in 1982 for the radio series Totally Wired, and again in 2001 for Echoes. I bring those interviews together for a profile with Vangelis, one of 30 icons of Echoes. It's 1982, and Vangelis has just won the Academy Award for his soundtrack to Chariots of Fire. The Greek keyboardist didn't take much time to savor his Oscar. He was more concerned about its consequences. One of the dangers now, a big risk today after the huge success of Chariots of Fire, maybe people, they think that my next album is going to be like that. And every time they call me, they say, you are number one here and there, and you have <laughs> platinum there, double platinum there, I mean, whatever, I'm, 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 I'm terrified. Because how am I going to convince those thousands of people that really, say, this is just one moment? In his Nemo Studios in London, he was already putting the finishing touches on a darker, more sinister soundtrack for the science fiction thriller Blade Runner. Back in 1982, when we first interviewed Vangelis, he was a handsome, burly man with jet black hair and beard. When we saw him again in 2001, he was a little more burly and his long hair was streaked with gray. But the composer was no less an imposing figure as he punctuated comments with a wave of his thick cigar. Born in Greece in 1943 as Evangelos Papatanasio, he says he was a self-taught musician who began playing at the age of four. Even then, he was looking for new sounds. I played tunes, and especially my own tunes. I used to open this big grand piano we used to have at home. And I used to pull the strings and, and create incredible noises, sounds. Out of, and I drive my mother crazy because she thought I'm going to break the piano, but I never did. I was not 100% satisfied but with one sound, the conventional piano sound. And then, of course, when I had the synthesizers, you know, everything changed. Vangelis left Greece in the early 1970s during the political upheaval there and took his rock group, Aphrodite's Child, to Paris. When they broke up, the synthesizer allowed Vangelis to be a one-man band. 
His first solo album was Earth, but it was the next recording in 1975, Heaven and Hell, that established Vangelis' reputation for orchestral synthesis. When I've done Heaven and Hell is the, the period that I had the minimum collection of electronic instruments at that time. Maybe I did it with one or maximum two very simple synthesizers. Uh, but I mean, I try to produce this, this orchestral big sound. Vangelis didn't just play synthesizers. At one end of his studio was a stage covered with tubular bells, timpanis, congos, and just about anything else you can bang on. His music frequently uses folk themes and instruments. On China, Vangelis dedicated an entire album to Asian ambiences, and in 1979, he returned to his own Greek roots. Odes was an album of folk tunes sung by the renowned Greek vocalist and actress Irini Pappas. And this music until two years ago, everybody used to play with conventional instruments and it's like a museum piece. And because of this, this music dies every day. Now, I play that music that I learned when I was two, three, four, I don't know, as, as long as I remember, and I played my way. It's nothing to do with the conventional way. The, the songs are exactly the same, uh, the feel is exactly the same, but the way of expression is different. The synthesizers they bring mu much more universal way of expression. Whether Vangelis is composing a film score, crafting an electronic orchestra, or playing pop tunes with Yes singer John Anderson, he says he doesn't write any of his music down, but simply plays it spontaneously. Always is the first take I do. I don't play one synthesizer at a time. I play three or four. So immediately you have a spectrum of sound quite important. As if to prove it, Vangelis moves over to his bank of electronic keyboards and begins to play. quickly sets up a Baroque-style sequence and begins improvising with multiple keyboards on top of it. Two decades later, when Vangelis mounted his composition Methodia for orchestra, choir, and soprano singers, 
nothing had changed. You might think he slaved for years over this grandiose, hour-long work. Methodia took one, one hour to compose. It was from top to bottom. Methodia conductor Blake Neely transcribed Van Gelis's synthesizer version into orchestral form. He actually plays everything at the same time, and he's got this special customized um, setup that he had specially made with foot pedals. I mean, he's orchestrating as he plays. He feels a oboe, so he'll bring in the pedal of the oboes, and then uh, you know, bring in the strings, bring in the choir, and it all goes on a tape live. And all of those great masterpieces of Van Gelis, you know, Chariots of Fire, Conquest of Paradise, they've all been one takes. He just does it, he says, I'm happy with it, let's mix it, we're done. Although he began as a pop musician in the 1960s, playing in Aphrodite's Child, Vangelis' own image of himself is more of a classical composer. I think that this piece, Methodia, is classical music. And I think that in 10 years, 20 years, people recognize it as classical. He's always wanted to be recognized as a great composer, not a synth composer, not a new age composer, not a film composer. And this may be the piece that people finally say, oh, I get it, you're, you're a composer. No category applied. Despite all the orchestras, Vangelis remains true to his synthesizer roots. To this electronic icon, technology is as natural as a drum. When you listen to, to a thunder, or say this is a natural sound, I mean, Come on, it's the same thing with the synthesizers. This is exactly the same. Wind, the air, I mean, the, the water, everything. It's the same thing. Electricity, energy, amazing. Kimberly Haas bringing us Vangelis, an icon of echoes. Vangelis's output has slowed considerably in the new millennium. Outside of Alexander, in 2004, he's had no major film soundtracks. And after Mythodia in 2001, he went 15 years without a new studio recording. But in the last five years, he's released three recordings, including the excellent and slightly retro Rosetta album, which won the 2016 New Age Grammy Award. Many were surprised when Vangelis wasn't tapped to score Blade Runner 2049. Some reports indicate he wasn't asked, others say that he refused. Apparently, he didn't want to repeat himself. The original Blade Runner score was reissued in a triple CD format in 2007. Vangelis, he was anointed number six of our 30 icons of Echoes. What an amazing stretch of music by Vangelis, and if you put aside his album Nocturnes, he's still making some great music. I've got a list of 10 essential Vangelis albums on our website at echoes.org. 
Next week on the Echoes podcast, I talk with a fascinating singer-songwriter, Maria Stark. We've been playing her a lot on Echoes the last several months. I've also got the seventh icon of Echoes, the legendary German electronic artist, Klaus Schulze. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want. <laughs>